Welcome to Music History Monday for August 16th, 2021. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is William John Evans. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the birth on August 16, 1929, 92 years ago today, of the jazz pianist and composer William John Bill Evans in Plainfield, New Jersey. He died tragically and all too young on September 15, 1980 in New York City at the age of 51. Just a week before his death, Evans had completed a nine-day run from August 31st to September 8th, 1980 at the Keystone Corner in San Francisco. That run was recorded and issued on an eight-CD set entitled The Last Waltz, which will be among the recommended recordings in tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post. Apropos of that appearance at the Keystone Corner, Jesse Hamlin, music critic for the San Francisco Chronicle, writes, quote, Evans played with such fervor during that nine-day stint that his enraptured audiences would have found it hard to believe that his body was wasting away and that he'd be dead a week later, unquote. All early, unnecessary deaths are tragic. Bill Evans's death holds a special poignancy in that it was not only self-inflicted, but he had, in the end, lost his will to live. In the end, he was only able to ignore his disintegrating body while he was playing the piano. But not even the piano could save him from himself. And when he died at the age of 51, he looked like a man of 70. Evans's friend, the Canadian music journalist, lyricist, singer, and composer Jean Lees, 1928-2010, who for many years was the editor of Downbeat magazine, famously and succinctly called Evans's death, quote, the longest suicide in history, unquote. That it was, and Evans knew it. During his final run, at the Keystone Corner in San Francisco, he introduced a performance of Johnny Mandel's theme from M.A.S.H. by observing that the song was also known as Suicide is Painless, to which Evans then added, Debatable. The image of the lonely, tortured genius is a cliched one, but it fits the life of Bill Evans like a snug pair of hush puppies. Tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post will focus on his personality and music, on the good stuff. Today's Music History Monday will focus on his life and, at the end, his existential pain. Childhood Evans was born in North Plainfield, New Jersey, 23 miles west of New York City. His father, Harry, was an immigrant from Wales and a naturalized American citizen. He managed a miniature golf course and a driving range. 
Evans's mother, Mary Evans, born Soroka, was of Ukrainian descent and came from a family of coal miners. Bill Evans had one sibling, a brother named Harold Jr., Harry, as we will know him, who was two years his senior. It was a difficult childhood for the Evans boys. Their father, Harry Sr., was an alcoholic, a gambler, and a domestic abuser. We read that their mother, Mary, quote, often left home with her sons to go to nearby Somerville, New Jersey, to stay with her sister, Justine, unquote. Thanks to his father, substance addiction was part of Bill Evans's domestic experience and genetic makeup. Harry Evans Sr. died in 1965 of an alcohol-related illness. It was in Somerville that Harry Jr. began piano lessons at around the age of six with a local teacher named Helen Leland. During Harry's lessons, the young Bill's M.O. was to stand in the doorway listening, after which he'd go to the piano and play everything he'd heard Harry play during his lesson. Despite the fact that Bill had been deemed too young for lessons, his precocity cinched the deal, and soon enough, both boys were taking piano lessons. Interestingly enough, their teacher, Helen Leland, considered Harry the more talented pianist. Yeah, and perhaps she also believed Stephen Baldwin to be a better actor than his brother Alec. This is not to say that Harry Jr. was not talented. He most certainly was. He finished his all-too-short life as the superintendent of music for the Baton Rouge, Louisiana School District. As a high schooler, Bill Evans took up the flute so he might participate in the Plainfield High School Band, a wonderfully geekish act, if you ask me, which you didn't. But ask or not, Bill Evans was a geek. Slim, gangly, quiet, and shy, someone who was never seen without his glasses. Evans attended Southeastern Louisiana University, where he performed, among other works, the first movement of Beethoven's Piano Concerto No. 3 on his senior recital. He graduated with a double degree in piano and music education, firmly expecting to make his career as a music teacher, as would his brother Harry. Speaking of Harry Evans, Jr., Bill convinced Harry, recently discharged from the Navy, to join him there at LSU. That's where Harry met his future wife, Patricia, Bill Evans's future sister-in-law. She remembered them this way. Quote, What a strange pair, I thought. These two brothers, so opposite in looks and temperament. One tall, bespectacled, introspective, nasal-voiced, and slow-moving. The other, short, muscular, convivial, rapid-speaking, quick to laugh, and sauntering of movement. Both brothers were not only accomplished musicians, but were gifted athletes as well. Once the older brother came south to settle in for college at LSU, a stone's throw from New Orleans, the two resumed their lifelong pattern of being virtually inseparable, one thinking for the other, laughing, protecting, risking for the other. They shared an old black Pontiac, ties, cufflinks, and girls. The younger one, Bill, 
immersed himself in music, living in the music building, practicing in his every spare moment. The older one slept through classes, always looking for an easy way out. It soon became obvious that the younger brother was an extraordinary talent. Students began to sit in the hall outside the door of his practice room just to hear him play." Unquote. After graduating from LSU, Bill spent three years in the U.S. Army from 1951 to 1954, during which he played flute, piccolo, and piano in the 5th U.S. Army Band at Fort Sheridan, just north of Chicago. In 1955, Evans moved to New York City, where he attended the Manus School of Music and received an artist's diploma in composition. As a jazz pianist, Evans quickly climbed the ladder in New York City. In April of 1958, he hit the big time when Miles Davis asked him to join his sextet. It was one of the greatest bands ever, with Miles Davis on trumpet, John Coltrane on tenor sax, Julian Cannonball Adderley on alto sax, Paul Chambers on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums. Davis later said of Evans, quote, Bill had this quiet fire that I loved on piano. The way he approached it, the sound he got, was like crystal notes or sparkling water cascading down from some clear waterfall. I had to change the way the band sounded for Bill's style by playing different tunes, softer ones at first. Unquote. It was as a member of Miles Davis's band that Bill Evans's long suicide began. He was the only white person in the band, something that Miles Davis, the man who put hip in hipness, needled him about constantly. His introspective manner of playing didn't jibe with the hard swinging styles of John Coltrane and Cannonball Adderley, and his solos received quiet if any, applause. Shy to a fault, he struggled to fit in. His sister-in-law, Pat Evans, writes, quote, He entered into a world, a white boy, where he had no community. In his humanity, did he become weary of being watched, rejected? Could it be he came to a place of wilting with Miles? Just a thought, but maybe, unquote. Yes, maybe. So to demonstrate that he belonged, Evans did what the drummer Philly Joe Jones and John Coltrane were doing and what Davis had recently quit doing. He began using heroin. Evans was no stranger to recreational drugs. He had smoked marijuana here and there in the army. But the heroin was a different thing entirely. With his genetic predisposition towards addiction, the heroin took him and the horrors that followed make us wonder how he managed to function at all, let alone create a style of piano playing that would influence pretty much every jazz pianist that followed him. In mid-1959, Evans left Miles Davis's band and formed his own trio with the bassist Scott LaFaro and the drummer Paul Motion. For your information, this trio is discussed extensively in my Dr. Bob Prescribes post of March 2nd, 2021. It was an awesome group, arguably Evans's greatest trio. 
the culminating and definitive recordings made by the Evans, LaFaro, and Motion Trio were recorded on a single day, June 21, 1961, at the Village Vanguard in New York's Greenwich Village. Produced by Oren Keep News, the two albums culled from these sessions and released in 1961 made Bill Evans a jazz household name and must be considered among the greatest jazz recordings of all time. On July 6, 1961, 10 days after the Vanguard sessions were recorded, the bassist Scott LaFaro was killed in a car accident in upstate New York. He was just 25 years and three months of age. LaFaro's death crushed Bill Evans. According to his drummer, Paul Motion, Evans was, quote, numb with grief, in a state of shock, like a ghost, unquote. Evans was unable to perform publicly for several months. Instead, he obsessively played George Gershwin's I Loves You Porgy, a song he associated with LaFaro. In the fall of 1961, in the midst of his grief over LaFaro, Harry Evans came to New York to do graduate work at Columbia University. There had been rumors of Bill's addiction for years, but he had managed thus far to hide it. Well, not after Harry visited him soon after arriving in the Big Apple. Harry's wife, Pat, describes what happened. Quote, When Harry saw Bill, it left little doubt. Still recovering from Scott LaFaro's death, his emaciated body was clothed in Scott's garments. In desperation, Harry wailed, Are you taking drugs? No, he replied. Harry then pulled up the sleeve of Bill's shirt to expose needle marks on every inch of his arms and hands. Where could he find help in the 60s? A Catholic priest? But there was no desire on Bill's part to stop using drugs." Unquote. At the time he became addicted to heroin, in 1958, Bill Evans was living with a woman named Perry Cousins. Many years later, she offered as credible an explanation as any for the nature and intensity of his addiction. Quote, when he came down, when he kicked it, which he did on numerous occasions, the world was, I don't know how to say it, too beautiful. It was too sharp for him. It's almost as if he had to blur the world for himself by being strung out." Unquote. After LaFaro's death, Evans's addiction became worse. Over and over again, he borrowed money from friends and spent it on drugs. In time, his electricity and telephone were disconnected for lack of payment. Evans later said, quote, You don't understand. It's like death and transfiguration. Every day you wake up in pain like death, and then you go out and score, and that is transfiguration. Each day becomes all of life in microcosm. Unquote. The heroin allowed Evans to cope with his grief, his depression, and his debilitating sense of inadequacy that dogged him increasingly as the years passed. We'll discuss this aspect of Evans's personality at greater length in tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes Post.
Incredibly, Evans never allowed his addiction to interfere with his musical career, which flourished in the 1960s and 1970s. But his private life continued to be something of a disaster. He had a 12-year relationship with a woman named Elaine Schultz, who was also an addict. When Evans fell in love with another woman named Nanette Zazara in 1973, Elaine committed suicide by throwing herself under a subway train. Evans married Zazara, with whom he had a son in 1975 named Evan. Though Bill Evans and Zazara were still married at the time of his death in 1980, they were no longer living together. That's because Evans had become involved with a woman 28 years his junior named Lori Bertoman in 1979. The End In the late 1970s, Evans managed to kick heroin thanks to methadone treatment. Though his victory was short-lived, he almost immediately became addicted to intravenous cocaine. In the spring of 1979, Evans's world collapsed. His brother Harry, who had been diagnosed with schizophrenia, killed himself at the age of 52. Harry's wife Pat tells the tragic tale. Quote, Our marriage was collapsing. He, Harry, wouldn't take his drugs. I had no understanding of his illness. I felt trapped. I had enough. I'm leaving, I told him, but I doubt that it was more than a threat. At work, the next day, I thought I'd better go check on him. I entered the house at noon to find him dead from a self-inflicted bullet wound to the head. Find Bill. Find Bill. I found him in Washington, D.C., where he had an engagement. It was days before he could come down to bury his brother. He needed his supply of drugs." Unquote. Pat Evans continues, quote, I knew Bill wouldn't last. A death foretold. Was that what prompted me to buy three plots in the Baton Rouge Cemetery where Harry rests? Unquote. Bill's sister-in-law, Pat, was correct. Evans's bass player at the time, Mark Johnson, recalled that Harry's death marked, quote, the beginning of the end. Bill's willingness to play and work decreased noticeably after the death of Harry. Actually, it was just the music itself that held him upright. He fulfilled his obligations because he needed money. But these were the few moments in his life when he felt comfortable, the times in between must have been depressing, and he barely showed a willingness to live." Unquote. Evans's new girlfriend, Lori Verchoman, said of Evans, quote, his physical state was disastrous. After all those years of heroin abuse, he barely had a body left. His spirit was moving his body around. It was clear in his mind that he would die in a short time." Unquote. The end came on September 15, 1980. Evans was living in a ninth-floor apartment in the Whitman House on Center Avenue in Fort Lee, New Jersey, a few hundred yards from where my parents lived on Linwood Avenue. He had been in bed for several days complaining of intense stomach pain, accompanied by his drummer, Joe LaBarbera, and Lori Verchoman, 
he was taken to the emergency room at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. He wasn't at the hospital for long. He died during the afternoon, just a few hours after having arrived. As for the cause of Evans' death, well, take your pick. At the time of his death, he was suffering from a bleeding peptic ulcer, cirrhosis of the liver, bronchial pneumonia, and untreated hepatitis. Evans was buried at the Roselawn Cemetery in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, next to his brother Harry, in one of those plots impetuously bought by his sister-in-law, Pat. Closing words. We leave the last words to the New York Times critic Terry Teachout. Quote, Many jazz musicians resemble their music. Who could have looked more worldly-wise than Duke Ellington, or wittier than Paul Desmond? But sometimes a musician embodies a contradiction. Such was the case with Bill Evans. His shining tone and cloudy pastel harmonies transformed such innocuous pop songs as Young and Foolish and The Boy Next Door into fleeting visions of infinite grace. Yet, the bespectacled, cadaverous ruin, who sat hunched over the keyboard like a broken gooseneck lamp, seemed at first glance incapable of such Debussyan subtlety. Something, one felt sure, must have gone terribly wrong for a man who played like that to have looked like that." Unquote. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.